0: hello and welcome to the international families project podcast i'm luisa hello i am selva and together we're going to be interviewing six families that have
1: international background join us on our journey of exploration of how is it to live in an international family
0: the motivation for this podcast uh, comes from the fact, as you can hear from our accents, we <laughs> are international, uh, meaning we live in a different country than we were born. And we have partners who come from a different country and ours. And we speak several languages at home and our kids grow up in this international setting. And we suspect, no, we know that that's not just us. There are many of us out there and getting more who
1: are in the same situation. So this curiosity, this uh, story of ours, inspired us to go on this journey of this podcast with uh, six different episodes. And uh, we hope that you enjoy it and get inspired just like we did. Hello, Lena. Welcome.
2: Tell us um,
1: a little bit about you.
2: <laughs> so I'm Alina. I'm... Um originally Swedish, well I am Swedish still, and I live in London, I moved here because I came here for circus school and I worked as an acrobat for many years, and then moved into choreographing and directing circus, contemporary circus, opera, theatre, things like that, so that's what I still do.
0: So. This is an international families project. So what's the international about your family? A part of you living in London. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I met my partner, John, here in London. And um, we have two children. And uh, they have dual nationality. So they're both Swedish and British. Now, finally. <laughs> Took a while. Um yeah, and I, I mean that's that's the that's the international aspect. Um, I we yeah, I travel quite a lot with work, but as a family, this has been our base. But then, obviously, try and keep the try and keep the connection with Sweden and um, yeah, the I guess dual heritage that it comes with. So how how do
0: you keep the connection with Sweden actually? <laughs>
2: Um, I think it's just interesting. When, when I got preg when, when I got pregnant with our first daughter, um, a lot of people in England were like, Oh, obviously you're going to move back to Sweden now. And, um, and I was a bit surprised by it cause I was like, well, I've lived here for quite so, um, I'd already lived in England for nearly ten years, and I was like, well, um, and I built my company here, um, which was with another Sweden and an Italian. So neither of us was from here, but all of us had then, start you know, um, met partners and you know relationships and things, and also our professional, our professional, all our professional relationships and setting up companies. That was all based in in London. So, so when people assumed I was going to move back to Sweden, I was like, it'd be a bit weird to move back to have a child when i don't really have other connections there anymore um because you know knowing that i wanted to continue working and um, after having children and, and things um so but then obviously the things like the healthcare care uh, and um and uh, above all the childcare provision in sweden is like so much better <laughs> so Many years later, I wonder, why didn't I move back? That's why I wonder, <laughs> still wonder, <laughs> I haven't got the answer. Uh, <laughs> they were right. I was wrong, um, uh, but so, so how did they keep in touch? To start with, I think, especially with the first child, I made much more effort of like going back, try and go back to Sweden twice a year. But because we were both working, we, we would really go back for long periods. Um, you know but trying to go more like go regularly um to keep the keep the language up really and and also you know uh, for family and things um also i really made an effort to speak swedish with my both my children i think i was better at it with the first child <laughs> we also had a rule with the first child with the first child we had a rule that all tv and films would be well we didn't basically we didn't have a tv we just had like a screen and and then you know well at that point when she was it was like putting on film it was sort of before netflix proper and amazon and things so it was like you know films so we decided in her first five years she would only watch swedish films so she watched a lot of astrid lindgren (laughs) and it sort of just meant that like swedish you know when she watched something, she would like get like passive learning of Swedish. Uh, she got a very messed up view of Sweden through I don't know barn and bulla like this super romantic out on the countryside <laughs> people, you know, running around with the goats. Um, uh, and then, uh, <laughs> but her Swedish really like it was really good. Her Swedish got consolidated quite well through this. Um, then when we had the second child, you know, all those things that you're like very good with with the first child, you know, at that point we lost the battle and you know it was free free reign on like what was watched on TV and it was quite hard to then go back on that with the second one and say, "Oops, we're all just going to watch Swedish <laughs> films from the eighties again." Um, so yeah, so so um, I think my first child also uh, my sister came over to um, live with us for a year. She's quite a lot younger than me, so she also sort of came over in a au pair. Um, so in an in a au pair situation and helped us to look after my, um, our, 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 our first child, um, so she was part-time looking after her part-time, um, working in restaurants. And so through her as well, there was more Swedish ran, more Swedish between us and a really nice connection for them. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think at that point I was much more like, you know, really try to get some swedish culture in swedish books in the swedish in then second one i don't know everything you just busy it's like you just yeah. busy isn't <laughs> it like i don't know all those uh you know principles you were trying to uphold it was a bit like look we're giving you food keeping you alive. you know <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. all the extras are like you know not as um coherent uh but still still um Definitely like, um, you know, I try to speak Swedish to them. And um, I find that hard sometimes, especially when they speak back to you in English. And especially because we don't really speak Swedish as a family. Mm. Um, So it's like a constant thing. And then you start to slip more and more into English. Because i lived here for so long now. I, you know, I think more in English than in Swedish. Um, So yeah, so sometimes I do better and sometimes I do worse. And the thing that makes a difference there is to to go back quite often to just... You know, refresh my my connection as well. How
0: how do I mean? First of all, I totally feel the second child thing. <laughs> I have the same, I have totally the same.
1: It's so funny! <laughs>
0: <laughs> all those mm-hmm. uh, good intentions. <laughs> it's like, oh come on, just tag along.
2: <laughs> but I'm a second child myself. I don't think it's all bad. I think it's quite good because there's so much attention on first child. The second child, you're sort of like. Gliding under the surface with you a lot You get the experience,
1: yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of benefit of not having the spotlight on you, but yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> how, how do your kids feel about the, the, the degree of Swedishness? Like, do they identify themselves as Swedish?
2: So the interesting thing is, I would say, and this would vary from day to day, but if you ask my children, where are you from? <laughs> My oldest daughter would regularly say Sweden, and then they get really oh, confused because they're like, you know, or they, no, not where you're from. They would say, what nationality are you? She would say Swedish, even if she's even though she's born and bred here. Uh, and then they get confused when they realize that actually she's totally born and bred here. But she would identify more as Swedish. She sort of was quite proud of that. My second one, really, she would say British, and then she'd be like, well, you know, I'm a bit Swedish as well. Um, but she wouldn't at all identify as much with it. Mm. Um, and she doesn't... What did she say the other day? <laughs> she said, but mom, I couldn't really go and live in Sweden. They're all like so nice in a weird way. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> um Whereas my, my older one, she's she's like, she definitely wants to go and live in Sweden for at least a year. Um, d- definitely, definitely, my older one identifies more as Swedish than my second one. Um, and, but yeah, again, I mean, again, I think a lot of families I've heard, it's quite similar. Yeah, and uh, what know. about your
1: husband? How does he live within this Swedish culture that you kind of bring into the family?
2: Um, I mean... And I mean, when I, say, I I mean, I don't, I don't think I've brought in like loads of culture in, I mean, basically we speak Swedish, he's been, we've been together for long enough and he's been in Sweden for many times enough that he, um, he understands, my, he understands a lot of Swedish. Um, but he doesn't really speak it, but he understands most of it. Although we do like regular sort of like checks where we sort of say something rude about him in Swedish to see if he would react. <laughs> and then I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, look, if you if you didn't if you learned Swedish, we wouldn't have said it. Like, um, but but he will understand. The, <laughs> he understands the gist of what what we said, and he would always be like, he would always. He always encouraged me to speak Swedish to the kids. Oh, nice. um, in terms of the culture, like we sort of adopted the stuff that we liked. So, so for example, we, um, you know, ye- actually before we had children, we we started having a celebrating Lucia party, which is this um, um, festivity on the thirteenth of December, which I think is probably rooted in like pre Christianity, and it was just like a sort of pagan light festival. And then Christians came away like, uh, okay, it's better to adopt this festivity rather than, um, you know, rather than try and stop it. That's just my assumption because it's, it's basically just about bringing loads of candles and light and drink some spiced wine and eat loads of cakes and everyone can get behind that. It feels like, so (laughs) we sort of started doing that. Um, and, and, um, and you know, I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to bake all these nice saffron buns." And then um, my partner and the flatmate we were living with at the time, who's actually from South Africa, they were like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah," and you have to make those those creamy buns, uh, the semlo, fastlaksbula. And I was like, <gasps> "No, no, 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 no! That is not for Lucia. That is for 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 Fetish Tuesday, like uh, for fet- fet- Fetish It's like that's you know." <laughs> <laughs> what it, what's it called it's like the pancake day here but that's for february like we don't do that in december and they're like what are you on about we're doing a swedish thing you have to make your best swedish buns i'm like no 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 you don't understand you can't mix this tradition <laughs> there is um, a
1: calendar <laughs> do
2: you know like and uh, and so they were like well if you're not going to bake them we're going to bake them and I looked up a recipe on online and they and they totally misread it. And they made like this sort of rock hard buns. And I was just <laughs> like, what have you done? You can't serve this. So then I gave in and I gave and I made the creamy buns. I made the semlo, the Fastlagsbulla. So I made them. I was like, look, look, you can't. You just don't know how to do it. Fine, I'll do it. And so I made them. And then the problem was next year we were like, Oh, that was really nice. Should we do another Lucia party? I was like, Yeah, I called up Spring, Hey, do you want to come for another Lucia party? Oh, is that the one with the creamy buns? And I was like, Oh no, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Nina. It's literally you're not doing No. That. <laughs> we've kept doing this Lucia. We literally have done it for every year, like, you know, apart from pandemic, we do this Lucia party. We've like totally adopted you know, like full house, everyone, you know. Everyone brings like bits and pieces, but they know I like I make like this this buffet of just I, I basically I'm like a bit, like, look, just if you want some savory, just eat before. Mainly this is about the cakes and you know, Kneck and all the sweet stuff. But like I cannot, I can't not do the, the assembler anymore. So I've totally corrupted this thing. And then and then whenever a sweet comes, they are like, <gasps> you know, they, they are so just like outraged. What are you doing? You can't serve down the sea. But I guess that's the thing of like, when you're, when you take your culture with you in another place, you just, you know, you, you use what you want from it. And I guess that's, that's one of the things I would have loved to do a midsummer party every, that's another one I miss is the midsummer party. And I would have loved to make that tradition as well. But because of my work, I wasn't like so often on tour in the summer. And even now it's like a really hectic period work-wise. So I haven't quite, I've done a couple, but I haven't quite managed to introduce that, um, but yeah, I don't know. Once, once if we manage to make it a regular, I don't know what I end up serving. Yeah, Lina,
0: don't do it. <laughs> I'm afraid now. But you
2: know, <laughs> but you know, when I did do it, I was like, okay, I'm going to bring. I'm going to have this. Going to be sill. And potato salad, yeah. And then anyone else, you want to bring something, fine. Bring what you want. But this is what I'm making because it's midsummer. You know, so I, I did do that. But, then, you know, people are like, you know, they take the smallest little bit from the sill. They're like, okay, no, thank you. And then they <laughs> So the sill was like left at the end. It was like, no one touched it. But they liked the potato salad. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess that's it. I mean, yeah, we talked earlier, like taking your shoes off. When you come inside, I definitely, like, I adapted that, especially since we had, once we had kids, I was like, no, I am not doing this amount of cleaning. People arrive, take your shoes off. Um, So that I managed to introduce. And yeah, I mean, just because I'm like, I hate cleaning. (laughs) (laughs) Take your shoes off. Um, And yeah, I even, like, even now, like, uh, with my teenage daughter, I mean, a few years back, we used to have, often have, like, loads of her friends coming um to hang out here or hang out in our garden and they and they were actually well trained. It was like they come in, they take their shoes off. Uh, which which normally with teenagers is is you don't do that in England. But they were like even when even walking from the front door to the garden, they had to like take you know, they were like, okay, we'll take the shoes off and I mean I wouldn't insist on it, but I was like, <laughs> yes, I'm lucky, like you. you can come back. <laughs> like, um I don't know. I don't know if I managed anything else. I don't know what else I managed. I used, um, I used it a lot. Being Swedish in England, I quite often used it both in my personal life and professional life. Of like, when I don't, when I feel like I'm not doing things the way that people expect you to do it, mm. then I just go, "Oh, sorry, I'm Swedish," <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I used um, that as an excuse. And, and for sure, both in like, you know, how, you know, um, about being more honest or, or forthright about things. I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm Swedish. I just got to say it the way it is rather than doing a sort of polite English dance around things. Um, but also just in general, if, if I'm in a situation I go like, okay, I think I might look a bit weird right now. Then I just go, oh, it's how we do it in Sweden, even though that's not true at all. Like even the people <laughs> in Sweden just always thought I was really weird. But like there is a freedom and when you're when you're in a different culture you can pretend like this is because you're of your right. culture even when it isn't. So I, I do use that. And then I guess yeah, it's um yeah. Yeah. There there there's there are those advantages. Um I mean I do really appreciate that it's also like, you know, it's I'm in a very privileged migrant position. So coming from like Sweden, like in England, everyone thinks that Sweden is like this sort of paradise. So, so it's like, if I say something they're like, oh, wow. Yeah. In Sweden, you know, like they, they look up to it in a way. Like I get credit for it. I get social status for it in a way that I don't think is true. If I would be from, um, I don't know, Latin America or from a, or from an African country, like, you know, there's those, you know, double, you know, yeah. Inbuilt racism about different things where I can use I can blame things on my Swedishness and somehow my weirdness would get status rather than making me lose. So, and I have yeah used that to my advantage whenever I could.
0: Oh, I totally feel that. I mean, Germans usually worship Sweden. I mean, not the whole of
2: Scandinavia, just Sweden. Yeah. it's really
0: strange. It's like this S- S- Sweden, <laughs> the promised land. <laughs>
2: I know it got this status that I think I don't know it maybe it started at some point in the seventies. I don't know, like you know they think that everything is always better in Sweden, and whenever really? you say that there are some issues there, they are like, yeah, but not compared with here, and it's like, well okay, at the moment, there's so many issues here, but but you know what I mean like it's people don't want to get rid of this dream image so <laughs>
0: but apart from like from uh, all this awesome Swedish awesomeness um <laughs> I mean uh is there anything that you've heard or like experienced which wasn't I
2: mean some stereotypes um I think that I mean for me the biggest um you know the biggest thing was Brexit um you know before that fine you know I, I think whenever you move to culture and it's and it's true there is this connection between like you know mutual admiration between Britain and the and the Scandinavian Isles but and obviously our culture is like, not totally similar, but there are certain things I find, um, you know, things like this thing of like, not saying what they actually mean, you know, after 25 years of being here, I still, I still don't get it. I'm like, I hear you saying things, but I don't think this is what you mean, but I don't know how to decipher it. <laughs> to shy, you know, I don't know what, yeah, like, yeah. how am I supposed to know what you mean? what you're saying <laughs> that that I still find hard um and and just some of the like this fake politeness of like they are very good at being like polite while actually being really aggressive and I'm like I I mean I might they might be trying to be aggressive and I miss it. you know there's some there's some cultural things I feel like I never will learn uh that sometimes it's a, in in some social situations it's a handicap but yeah I've been trying to ignore it. um I think the biggest thing was when Brexit happened. Um, and then I, and that's the first time I got like outright, like animosity, um, against me for living here. Um, and it was, and I mean, I got like a, a personal, a personal actual message from someone going, yeah good time that like, you have to leave now because you've been taking our spots. And I was like, what, like, what, what, where did this come? And it, you know, like with so many of those things like that, you know, it turned out it was from someone who was really struggling with, with mental health and, you know, so would later come back and deeply apologize. And then, you know, a month later post something on, on my Facebook wall again. And you're like, oh God, <laughs> like, <laughs> but I don't think I'm your problem, you know? But that thing of like directing your anger, that was like a specific incident that was, when it happened was was really horrible because it happened like the day after the Brexit vote. Um, but I think the hard thing in, in Brexit in general was just that thing of feeling like, I, however much I disliked you to start with as an institution, it was thanks to the free traveling you know, in the free movement that I could come and live in England. That's how I started my, my my company. The people I work with. That's how I met my partner, and thanks to that, you know, I cr- we created our children, and 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 created our life. And it was just suddenly, you know, when the majority of this nation went like, "Yeah, we don't think that's good." that it was, I didn't, I didn't think I would take it as personal as I did, but it like deeply, like really upset me. Um, cause I think I was also like, for me, there's been so much possibilities and so much positive, you know, basically like, you know, my whole life had been built on this thing of being able to move to a different place and set up and create and meet and make connections there. Um, so I, 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 you know, I'd really, i I got really up you know, it, it felt really, I was really upset. Um, even if I knew that I would be allowed to stay, you know, I'd been here for long enough, I knew that, like, you know, it wasn't like I was going to be thrown out. Immediately, you know, it, you know, I knew that it wouldn't personally um, threaten me, but it just felt like all of these things that my life's been made out of is, is rejected. And I think that was it. I felt really rejected. Um, I mean, the funny, <laughs> I mean, the slightly funny incident in it was um, on the on the night um uh, like the night after the election the the uh, sorry the referendum so uh the night after the referendum, we went to bed still not it was still not clear what the outcome would be, so in the end, we just fell asleep and in the middle of the night, my youngest one, she woken up in the middle of the night, so she came up to sleep in our bed and um and what well, I mean how old was she how long ago is it now? So I think she was like four, four or five, 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 six years old. Um, She, uh, we then woke up really early. I woke up by my, by my partner saying, oh my God, oh my God. Uh, and I was like, what? And he said, you know, the re- the referendum is, is, is lead. And I was like, no way. And he was like, yep, this, you know, it's quite clear. It's going to be lead. So I started crying, um. And my youngest daughter, she woke up and she said, Mom, why are you crying? And so I tried to, in Swedish, explain why I was crying. I was saying because, you know, in Swedish going, oh, because, you know, loads of people think that this should, you know, that, you know, this should, that we should leave. But this is how my life got created. And, you know, and this is really upsetting to me because this is a lot of the things I believe in, in like international meetings, all of this, blah, blah, blah. And she just looked at me and went like, Mum, in English, Mum, I don't understand what you're saying. Can you please speak English to me?
0: <laughs>
2: and I was like, knife in my heart.
1: <laughs> oh, so slow.
2: I mean, it was so bad. I actually had to start laughing because I was like, fine. I was trying to explain something that, like, you know, we had failed, you know, we had totally, as a nation, failed to understand, you know, to explain why these are good things. And I tried to explain that to her in her second language (laughs) at five in the morning while really upset myself. Of course, she didn't understand it in Swedish, but oh my, the timing was horrendous. (laughs) (laughs) Even my own daughter was going to turn me in. She's going to send me. <laughs> get out speak English or get out <laughs> oh. um, so so that was harsh <laughs> um, but then I guess the whole thing I mean what was interesting was you know uh, first like me and my partner we weren't, we weren't married um, we lived together like we you know totally committed to each other just didn't feel that that marriage as such was important to us uh, and the joke to start with, he was like, well, you might want to marry me now, you know, for the British passport, you know, and then, uh, you know, the whole process of like Brexit started and what it means and all of that and everything started falling apart and all this, you know, visions that had been sold to to uh, during the campaign, you know, all, all started to be hollow. And like, you know, a few years later, you know, a few years later, I was like, actually, I think it's you who might want a European passport. <laughs> <Yeah>. and- <laughs> Um, and that and that is and I think that is the biggest loss. I think here for me, having lived here, you know, it got settled status, yeah, I don't trust that it would always be honored, but you know as, as a European who lived here before the before the, before Brexit actually came into place, we're fine to stay here. we're fine to stay here with equal rights. Um, but and my children, having dual nationality now, they are fine to do either. But my daughter's friends, you know, she's now seventeen. You know, they're all finishing school this year. Uh, she's turning eighteen, and a lot of them, you know, the thing of like, you know, maybe they going travelling or maybe studying somewhere else or living somewhere else for a bit. At the moment, that's that opportunity is really narrowed down and been quite closed, you know, to her, to her generation or to her cohort. I'm sure, I'm sure, in a few time, this, you know, these things will be sorted again, and they will be like you know it'd be easier as a student to travel or, or, or to do those exchanges but at the moment because the system that was in place collapsed with brexit or it got closed off with brexit and new ones haven't been built like they don't they, her english friends don't have those options and i do think that is such a loss of like not you know not being able to have that as an opportunity this you know and i know it was limited to europe or australia and you know certain places but but still that thing of you can go and you can experience a different culture and how much difference that makes for your approach to the world and and opportunities further on in life so i think i think that's i think that is really sad and i think that's something that um yeah so i mean you know it wasn't the conflict as family because my partner was you know so anti brexit and and you know he you know he used he lived in France before and like you know he really valued this this thing of going, of being able to to go to other places. But uh, but yeah, I think it was a, the biggest sort of, the biggest turning point in living in this country was definitely Brexit in terms of how I saw my belonging here. Mm-hmm. Um, and and on
1: the other way, and on the other side, in a way. The fact that there is an internationality in your family and that you are also, I mean, now due to the Brexit, you are, you are Swedish. So it helps your family to get some sort of privilege uh, Then, as you're saying, like, for, for instance, the friends of your daughter. That is uh, is crazy and interesting at the same time.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the, that's the ironic thing, yeah. that in the end I I nearly have the most like my family nearly have the most privileged position because we have access to both.
1: Mm.
2: Compared with yeah, the fully British families, they they have a lot of options closed. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's ironic. Yeah. I, I, I'm sure the people who voted for Leave that was not their intention. <laughs> <laughs> that was okay. not the plan. No. <laughs> let's let's give the Swedes. Let's give it all to the Swedes. <laughs> like, but the other thing, I mean, after Brexit was also, um, I mean, oh, I mean, it was so misguided in so many ways. But, but for example, there was it was more open. There was much more open anonymity and. Especially, Pol- I love Polish people. Like, there was a lot of hate crime and hate, uh, um, I mean, graffiti, threatening on the street, shouting on the street, things like that, against Polish people and Eastern European people, like, no. openly. It was like suddenly people had, like, a green card to, like, openly just go and be with people. I mean, it was, like, in the local playground, there was a, I think it was a Spanish or pair to one of my, uh, to, to another family, like, uh, of, of, um school and and she like this woman just walked up to her like the week after and went like i think you should go home now and she's just Mm. like i'm just here looking after a child like there was more open and then and then all the all the and and all the racist hate crime also increased but including like you know shouting um at black people to go home and they were like uh i'm british what (laughs) i mean there was a lot of misguided shouting at you know at Indian and Southeast Asians, you know, they they increased um, hate against them. And you were like, Okay, guys, you know, when did you ever look at a map of Europe? And like, you know, (laughs) if you thought that all the black people would disappear, that had nothing to do with Europe, like, there was so much. um, I mean, was it was just all racism and xenophobia increased. And part of it, you were just like, wow, you really didn't know at all what this was about. And you sort of had to laugh at it. But at the same time, it's just scary that I just gave a green card for just full on general xenophobia. Uh, and yeah. Yeah. And it made a lot of people leave. I mean, I, I had a lot of European friends who went like, oh, you know what? You know, that's it. And I think most people who stayed, it would be because they were British European um, mix. Yeah, whatever. Um, whereas, for example, friends were both, both people in the couples were from European countries, even if from different European countries. Slowly, more and more of them have also moved moved across back to to Europe. Do you think that if that if you had the opportunity,
1: and the willing to do it, will you? How will you see yourself coming back to Sweden with your family? with your Swedish-British family?
2: So so we talked about it um, quite a lot because this country is frankly going straight down the drain hole. Uh, I mean, it's like, it's just, uh, the, it, things are just, things are just going really bad here politically. There's so much I don't agree with um, of the politics of this country. Brexit has been really harsh. The pandemic has been really harsh. Uh, Cost of living is just increasing so much here. I mean, there are more food banks than there are McDonald's. Like, everything's just, like, getting worse and worse. And when you think it can't get worse, it's, it keeps getting worse. Um, so we have talked quite a bit about, like, you know, do we actually want to live here forever? And and before Brexit, I was pretty much like, I mean, realistically, this is where I am now. And that sense of, like, suddenly not feeling like I belong as much definitely changed something in me. And I started thinking, like, oh, I'll stay. I mean, I still want to stay here. I'm still committed here. I'm, like, built my life here but I'm not seeing it as forever anymore. You know, I don't know. Um, However, coming back to Sweden, I think think my partner would be more up for it than me. Like, (laughs) I think I would struggle with feeling at home in Sweden because people would sort of look at me and listen to me and think that I was Swedish, which I am, but I have like, I've been very bad in keeping in touch in terms of culture and politics and just general knowledge about what's going on there. So, it'd be this weird thing where they like talk to me as if I will know what they're talking about, but I'd be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And, and all that thing that like all the things that are weird about me that I would blame on being Swedish. I can't do that when I'm in Sweden. So... <laughs> I'd be and like British. Oh. <laughs> Where's my partner? My partner would be there going, Oh, I'm British. Yeah, I'm so cool. Uh, and they'd be like, Oh, we can speak English to you. We really want to practice our English. And then he will never learn Swedish because all British friends I have who moved to Sweden, they never learn it, Swedish because all the Swedes always <laughs> want to speak English to them. So he would just be gliding around in this coolness status and I'd be like Ah oh, this this place is weird. I remember why I moved away. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, honestly um honestly I would like to move somewhere warmer for my retirement because I got a uh, lot of uh, injuries and problems in my body which would be my body would be so much happier to happier to grow old in a warm country. So I guess that's my main issues we're going back to Sweden. It's a bit cold. <laughs> it's a bit cold and wet um but no i would um yeah we definitely talked about it and um it doesn't feel like yeah it, it doesn't feel like an impossibility um i guess the thing now is like you know at the end of the day my kids have grown up here and so whatever happens like it's likely that the kids might well or at least one of the kids would end back up here so um back here in london so you know always going to be you know in split between two places but yeah I mean you you both know what that means it's like once you started moving and then you move again and then you have and then your friends move and and all your you know friends and family are just spread across and you're like where do you settle <laughs> you know where where is your true home you know I lived in England for longer than I lived in Sweden and even though the formative years were in Sweden so there's certain things where I would always be very Swedish with I do know that I would feel out of place if I moved back there. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: How do you feel? Just maybe like one last question, but um, how do you feel about your family in Sweden? Uh, Because I personally find it, um, I mean, I never thought about it before, but now that my parents are getting older, I kind of have this feeling of like, I mean, I'm not that far away, but it still takes nine hours to get there, like whatever means of transportation I'm taking. Um, so I feel like I'm far away, and and somehow it starts nagging on me. I don't know. Uh, do you have that too?
2: Yeah, I really had like that earlier this year um, when we had a, a health situation uh, with with my mom, and she's fine, but where that distance suddenly yeah it just feels so much further and i think that's been exaggerated by you know the last year in the pandemic as well and all the travel restrictions and especially like because even when travel was east and and you could travel more within europe like britain was like kept out for quite you know there's a lot harsh, harder mm. travel restrictions um uh for for britain for quite a while and And just the general feeling that like, it wasn't even that I couldn't travel Sweden, but I was like, if I travel, you know, if they were unwell, if I travel now to see them, I might in the, in the process of traveling there, I might bring something that will make things worse, you Mm -hmm. know? So, 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 so all these layers, so definitely, and and definitely the, the distance suddenly feels further. In that sense that if there is an emergency you can't just i can't just jump in a car and i'll be there you know i could you know you can't Mm -hmm. you you know yeah i can drop everything but i still have to find an available flight and you know connection you know um it's uh i think also i mean in general like having you know obviously being of the age now we're seeing a lot of my friends parents um getting old and ill and needing that more, the care that way. Yeah, that thing of feeling like, um, you know, I feel bad that I won't be able to give that in a a similar, in a more consistent way, you know, of just being able to like, go up for a weekend to provide some shopping or, you know, just those little bits that yeah, I can go over for a chunk, but I can't just do those like, you know, checking in on a regular basis um that feels better and then also again the pandemic you know there was suddenly like you know two years where i didn't really see the family and that's you know that's that's still fine for us but for the kids that it's a longer time you know for the kids two years is a it's a bigger gap um and i felt i felt bad it was nearly like i felt more bad for my parents to have done that like I felt bad to my parents that I feel like they didn't get as much time with the grandchildren as I think they would have wished and my they've always been like you know they've never like done any guilt tripping on that or anything but I do feel that like I wish you know I wish we could have been that I would have been closer and I, I would have been been mm. um you know been able to yeah but I'm see 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 um you know especially see the see the grandchildren more um, but then that's yeah. I guess it's just how we. You may you you know when you randomly decide to go to a place and then you're still there twenty six years later. It wasn't a plan. <laughs> that wasn't a plan. You know it's like you say something. You you know you well you went there and then you went a bit here and then you went a bit there and then you ended up back here and you know it wasn't like you were like right this is what's going to do. Um, you know on the other hand you know I I have really made efforts to like sometimes when you're further away, when you do make the effort, you make the effort. So like, when we do go over, then we are there for a week, and you get a longer time together. And I guess sometimes when you live closer, it's easy to, Mm -hmm. you know, to go for longer time without actually, you know, we actually with my partner's family, I think it's sometimes goes longer period where it's like, I'm like, we really haven't been up to them for a long time, because we see a little bit of them, you know, but I guess you get less sort of dedicated periods. Mm. So I, I guess you you win some and lose some, but yeah, I think I think as as age, combination of parents getting older and then also the experience of the pandemic that it feels more fragile, you know. And again, I appreciate you know, I appreciate my you know, the of of how close it is, of the fact that up until now it was only a two hours flight and you know, and it didn't cost that much, and I could go when I needed, and you know friends who haven't seen their family for like you know 10 years because it's other side of the world and the tickets are too expensive you know but but i guess there's the thing was that when i yeah when i moved here i thought of it just as a little hop across (laughs) you know you thought of it as a really close job it's easy you know but but yeah the in the the, that that perception changes with yes with age and then again like you know the whole pandemic just made me also go when I want to go, I should just go. Don't wait. Don't put it off. It's like when my when my mom was unwell, I was like, "Okay, how are you doing? How are you doing? Should I come back just for a few days? I can come back for a few days next week." She was like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Fine, I'm coming." Pre-pandemic, I think i have been like, "Oh, it's gonna be a bit tricky with work. It's gonna be a bit tricky with this." But yeah, I think the one thing I've taken out is like when you when you can, you know, when you when you miss someone, when you feel like you need to be with someone, I think you just have to take it when you can Mm -hmm. when you have a chance because you then don't know when the next you know what comes next you don't know (laughs) but yeah but it's a tough one but you know at the end of day it's it's like anything isn't it we i think we're giving our kids a key to the world just by knowing that we did it you know that we went and lived in a different place and that we traveled across different you know been across so many different cultures and sort of, you know, taken that with us. And my daughter now, she wants to go out traveling and she wants to go traveling for a year. And I'm, I'm like super excited for her. I think it'd be really good for her. And of course, as a mother, I'm like, ah but at the same time i think would you, know, you want
0: her to do the same kind of traveling that you did that age
2: i know exactly <laughs> yeah i mean i literally like my parents my parents uh seven they had like a joint birthday party just before the pandemic and and we there's three of us that's another thing with with my parents. I'm, I'm glad that like i got siblings my siblings live in sweden i miss them but i also we have a shared you know just mm-hmm. a just shared um I know there's just other people in Sweden you know um to to check in with my parents and things um when uh, when it was their birthday party we we shared like we did a speech a bit each my brother my sister and my and my um, and me and and my whole part was basically one long apology <laughs> I was like <laughs> all the things i did and I told you not to worry. <laughs> I appreciate now how worrying it was when I went traveling in South America, when I went into New York, when I moved to England without a plan, when I, you know, like, yeah. yes. Yeah, so, so of course, like now I'm like at the other end of it going, Jesus. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's stressful, but, but still, I just feel like I've, um, I just feel like I've gained so much. I feel like we've, you know, Again, this beautiful family and children, like my life has been so much influenced by people from all over the place and that I worked with. Like we had a Cuban teacher, we worked with the the Cubans here, we went to Brazil doing Capoeira. We, we we trained Capoeira for years here. We like the circus world is full of people traveling from all over and collaborators in other ways and influences I've taken from other arts areas. Like it's just it influence and, and it influenced us so much the international touring we've done. Um, that I really want my children to have that uh, if they want it. And and yes, it's it's always risky to traveling in the world. And, you know, obviously I want to to be safe, but I think it's so important to keep having those exchanges because it enriched my life so much. So, yeah, I just, that's, if, if that's the thing, if that's the thing that I can give them is this key saying, this is possible, you know, use it as you want, but it's possible you have the key, you know, if you want to, to, Go and unlock all these other places, like do it, believe it. I think that's the that's the main thing of, of sharing a life with people from other you know, and, and settling down in a place different from yours. But I think that's the one thing we give the I hope we give our our kids. You know, they might well choose to like rather stay put and, you know speak
0: English. <laughs>
2: you know, speak English. That's fine, but I gave you the choice. <laughs>
0: That was, I think, a wonderful ending. It was beautiful. Yeah, Thank Thank you you so so much, much.
1: (laughs) Rina. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode and will listen to the whole series. The podcast is part of the International Families Project. The International Families Project was founded by the European Union under the Erasmus Plus funding scheme. You can find out more about the project at
0: hostingtransformation.eu slash project slash international-families.
1: If you have any comments or would like to contact us, please write us an email to internationalfamilies2023 at gmail.com. You can find the web address of the project
0: and the contact details also in the show notes. All the best. Bye.
1: Bye. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>